This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. We're very thankful to be here this morning uh, with you all. Thank you for your presence. We're, it's, a, it's been a blessing uh, so far already. The, the singing has been wonderful and uh, very encouraging and uplifting. And, and I pray the study of the morning will help us to be further encouraged as we increase in our, in our knowledge of, of the story of the Bible. Uh, we've been on kind of a, uh, or I, I've been on every time I'm speaking, I mean, kind of a months-long journey of going through the story of the Scriptures. And so far, what we're trying to, to do is, is show you that, there, that the, the story of the Bible is one connected story. And, and it's always been pointing to Christ. It's always been about Jesus. And it's helpful for us to know because it helps us understand our place in the story. Just to do a really quick uh, recap, uh, when, when Adam fell in the garden, we're looking at this Genesis 3.15 promise of God bringing uh, the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And, and the story of the scriptures is how God brought that forward uh, from the time that Adam fell and is carrying that forward to Christ. Uh, so we began with Adam in the image of God. He was made in, in God's image, yet he committed sin and broke the harmony between God and man. And in Genesis 3.15, we see this first prophecy introduced, and from that point, the Bible focuses on how God brings that to pass. Then we looked at Noah and the curse of the ground. At his birth, Noah is prophesied to bring rest from the Genesis 3 curse that God places on the ground because of their sin. He was a faithful and obedient a servant to God and building a vessel that would save them from destruction. And only God was able to seal Noah and his family inside of the ark and, and, uh, and raise them up while water destroyed the sin that was below. And they were raised up to live new life, free from the curse of the ground. We looked at Abraham and the son of promise. God chooses Abraham, an elderly and childless man, a childless man, to bring forth the promise of Genesis 3.15. Abraham attempts to bring this to pass by human means, by having a son with his wife's servant, Hagar, and they bring forth Ishmael. But God shows them that this could only happen through his power, and so Isaac is born of promise. And so Abraham is then asked to sacrifice the son of promise, but God raises this child from certain death. Then we looked at the story of Jacob and the Almighty God. Jacob secures his possession of, a birth, of the birthright by selling a pot of beans to his brother Esau and deceiving his father Isaac. He flees from his brother's wrath and he leaves his home as, as, Jake, uh, as Jacob with only a staff in hand. And after many years of hardship, he returns and emerges as Israel with a multitude of blessings from God. So there's this transformation that takes place in his life as he confronts the sin that is from his past. Near the end of his life, God encourages Jacob to go down into Egypt to see Joseph, and he foretells that he would go down with him into Egypt and that he would bring him up out of Egypt. And again, all of these things are foreshadowing the events of Christ. We looked forward and, and we moved forward through the story and we looked at Moses and the exodus of Israel. After 400 years of bondage, God goes down into Egypt to raise Israel up out of slavery. And so Moses is chosen to deliver and guide them as they cross the waters of the Red Sea into a new life. The Israelites agree to obey God and be his kingdom of priests, yet very quickly turn their hearts back to Egypt and break the covenant of God. Moses appeases God's wrath and he gathers up the righteous. And then as we continue on, we see rebellion break out in the camp of Israel against Aaron 
uh, after Korah and his allies incite all the people against Moses and Aaron and their leadership. They challenge Aaron to see whose sacrifice God would choose, and ultimately, they die from God's wrath. Confirmed to be the true high priest of Israel, he intercedes. Aaron intercedes on their behalf of those who murmured against him, and he makes an acceptable sacrifice to appease God's wrath and stops a, a plague from consuming them. He stands between the living and the dead, the, the Bible says, as what we read in the book of Numbers. So in this study, I want to go back in a little bit to the time of Abraham and see his encounter with the mysterious figure. And this leads us to understand more about Christ and his role in God's royal priesthood. This event takes place in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham meets a mysterious man named Melchizedek. Let's, let's kind of talk about that and then we'll, we'll do some reading from the book of Genesis uh, chapter 14 so that we can understand some of the context here. Uh, so at this point of the story, God had come to Abraham and made the promise that he would bring this blessing through his seed to all nations. So God issues that promise. He's, he was 75 at the time in Genesis 12. And by the time you get to Genesis 13, we see that his flocks had grown so large that he and his nephew, Lot, had to part ways. And so Lot moves towards Sodom and goes and dwells there. Even though those men are wicked, he still goes and he, and he joins near them. Sometime after this, a war breaks out between several kings. There's four kingdoms from the north and four kingdoms from, or five kingdoms from the south that go to war against each other. And one of those southern kingdoms was Sodom. And they end up losing the battle. So we, we pick up in Genesis chapter 14, verse 10. And the, the vale of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And, there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went away, uh, went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, and dwelt, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So what we see is that they came and they took all of the things. These, these four northern kingdoms defeated the southern kingdoms. They took Sodom's possessions and all the people of their land, and that included Lot. And so they take him as a, as a captive of, of war. And there came one that escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, uh, brother of Eshcol, the brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them to Dan. So this shows you how large of a, of a, a, a amount of people that Abraham uh, had to take care of his flocks and his goods, and he takes 318 of his servants and trains them and he goes on a rescue mission to save Lot from, these, from this northern king, Kedo uh, Laomer, if I'm saying that right. Um, he's the king, king of the north and a mighty king, it seems like, from the context of Genesis 14. But he goes on this rescue mission to save Lot. So we read in Genesis 14, 15 how that turned out. He divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and brought... And also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So Abraham was successful. God gave him uh, victory over these kings and helped him to rescue his nephew Lot. And remember God's promise to him in Genesis 12. The nations that bless thee will be blessed by God. The nations that curse thee will be cursed by God. And so there was sure victory for Abraham uh, against this kingdom that, that, that had taken his nephew. And, and so Abraham now goes to rescue them. And so God gives him the victory. On his return home is when he encounters this mysterious 
figure that we read about named Melchizedek. We'll continue in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, this is on his way back from the battle, Abraham and his, and his company of men and all the people that they rescued were coming back. And it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Abraham was so honored by this man and understood the importance of this man that he paid tithes to this man Melchizedek. And this shows us the greatness of him. And so there's not a lot in the Bible about this, this mysterious figure. Uh, he's only mentioned a few times in the scriptures here in Genesis 14, what we just read, in Psalm chapter 110, and maybe a time or two in Hebrews, uh, particularly Hebrews chapter 7, uh, he's mentioned, and we find a lot more details there in Hebrews chapter 7. So let's read what, what Hebrews fills in for us about this mysterious figure in Hebrews chapter 7. The Bible says, For this Melchizedek, now this is, this is uh, thousands of years later that the, that the inspired writers are telling us about this figure, Melchizedek, and showing us the importance of what we just read in Genesis 14. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram, Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, that's what the name Melchizedek means, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent, Melchizedek, is not counted from them, is not part of the lineage of Abraham, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him that had the promise. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. This shows us the difference in, in the, the greatness of these men. Abraham was a great man, highly respected among the Jews, the father of uh, the Jewish nation. Father Abraham, they call him. And he's the father of many nations. By his, by his lineage came the 12 tribes of Israel, and so they all had held Abraham in high regard, and the writer of Hebrews here is, is showing that this man Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, because Abraham paid him tithes, and that shows how much greater this man was. And so this great man, this priest and king of God, of the Most High God, blesses Abraham and, and bestows this blessing upon him. So just to quickly recap what we, what we know of this king just by what the scriptures say, the name Melchizedek is two words uh, meaning king of righteousness. This man is also the king of Salem, which is the Salem meaning peace, or Shalem. King of Salem meaning king of peace. Uh, he is the priest of the Most High God. And that's the first time, in, if you're reading in Genesis, that's the first time God is referred to this way, the Most High God. And then even Abraham repeats that and, and begins to call him that. And then throughout the rest of the scriptures, they, begin to, they refer to him as the Most High God. But he was a servant of the Most High God and a priest. He brought forth bread and wine. That's, a, that's an interesting detail that, that is recorded in the scriptures. 
the book of Hebrews says he is without descent and without end of life. Now, as, as I've read and studied and read commentaries, there are many that regard these things as being, meaning that there was no record of his lineage, and therefore it, it, it uh, solidified his, um, the mystery around him to, to make him seem like an eternal figure. He has no lineage and no, no end of life, meaning there's no record of his death. And, and what this is, is to set him up as a perfect type of Christ. So he was probably a man, but there's no record of his death. There's no record of his family. But it sets him up perfectly to be a type of, of Christ as the high priest. And we'll see why those things are important as we go on later on and look at Genesis, or Hebrews chapter 7. He bestows a blessing upon Abraham, and then Abraham pays him a tenth of all of the possessions. And the important thing to note about this priesthood is that it predates the law of Moses. The law of Moses was not in effect yet. That was, that was going to be 400 years after Abraham. So, so this priesthood predates the law. And we can clearly see that Abraham understood that this kingly priest was very important. And he paid him the tithes and he received a blessing from him. And that's what we know about this, this great king and this priest, Melchizedek. Now, lineage, a lineage of, of priests would come from Abraham's line because eventually they would receive the law and God would institute priests. So hundreds of years after Abraham, the law is established with Moses at Sinai. We read that in Exodus 32. Um, well, Exodus chapter 19 and 20 and, and going on, Moses goes up into the mount and receives the tables of stone. He receives the commandments from God and the people agree and bind themselves to that covenant. And so part of that law was God established a priesthood and set up the service of the tabernacle. We read in Exodus 28 where Aaron and his sons were chosen. Uh, in verse 1, he says, Take thou unto the Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So him and his sons are chosen and ordained by God. And, and as God ordained, only Aaron and his descendants could serve as priests and take the mantle of high priests. And part of Aaron's job as a high priest was to handle sacrifices. He would intercede on behalf of the people. He would make their yearly atonement, atonement sacrifice and among other things that were his responsibility. Um, and really, we could go through a lot of scriptures to, to look at the things, but Hebrews chapter 9 has a nice summary of this service that the priest's office was going to fulfill in relation to the tabernacle. So he says in verse 6, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So there was a distinction between the priest and the high priest. And, and he says in this tabernacle, the way it was laid out was these two rooms divided by a thick curtain, this thick veil. And he says into the first part of the tabernacle, the priests went in, and that's where they accomplished the service of God. They would light the, the candle, the candlestick that was continually burning. They would prepare the table of showbread. They had the, the incense, and they had other, all of their holy uh, pots and materials and things that they would use in their service to God. And, and they went in. But into the second part of that temple, of that tabernacle, went the high priest alone once every year, and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. What was the, all of this was a symbol. All of this was a picture of something greater. And, he, and it's verified here in verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, 
that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So God established this law and designed it to be this way, where men would be appointed, Aaron and his sons would be appointed to be the priests and the high priest, and they would accomplish the service and go into the tabernacle, and it was to symbolize to them that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made accessible, because only Aaron could go in, or whoever the high priest was from his lineage could go in every year and make that atonement sacrifice. And they couldn't just walk into that room uh, just willy-nilly. If they did, they would, be, they would die. God's glory filled that room, and they were, our human flesh is so weak, we cannot handle the presence of God, and they would just die. And so it, they were only allowed to go in once a year, and they would fill the, smoke up, the room up with smoke from incense to obscure God's glory to make them be able to go in and, and not be able to fully see God's glory and make that atonement sacrifice. They would take that blood and cover it on this lid of the mercy or the ark, which was the mercy seat where God dwelt. That was part of their responsibility. But as you noticed at the end of this verse, there's a problem with this priesthood. And, and it's not a problem with the law. Paul wrote and said, the law is good, the law is holy. So it's not a problem with the law. God designed it for a very specific purpose. And the whole reason, you can find this in Galatians chapter 3, the whole reason for the law was to bring them forward to Christ. That was the purpose. And this law, the way, this priesthood, the way it was designed, was not supposed to be able to help them accomplish this cleansing of the conscience. They were forgiven. They would, they would make these sacrifices and appease God, and He would forgive them of their sins, and, but they would have to do this every year. And there were sacrifices, tons of sacrifices that they had to make every year, every year, every year, uh, as long as that priesthood was in place. And He says that this priesthood could not make those that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So there's an issue with this priesthood. And the issue is that it was incapable of cleansing their conscience because it stood only as a symbol of what was to come. Could not take away sins. That's what Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 4 describes. And the whole book of Hebrews is amazing and needs to be studied further. But, but we'll take sections here uh, and portions to help us understand these, these problems with the priesthood and the superiority of Christ. He says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? If they were capable of cleansing the conscience and making the people holy and pure and perfect, completed, why would they need to do it over and over again? That's the question he's asking. Because that the worshipers once purged would have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And God knew this and designed it this way, to teach them and to show them that they needed something greater. They needed something better. What's another problem with this priesthood uh, under the, the law and this priesthood of Aaron? Sin. The sins and the priests. These were just mortal men that were appointed to this task. And we saw ourselves in Exodus 32, Aaron's sin and making this golden calf for the people. Although he tried to blame the people and pass it off and say, well, I just, I asked for their gold, I threw it in here, and here's what came out. But Exodus 32 says that he fashioned it. 
So he, he was trying to cover himself up, but Aaron had problems. Aaron had, had weaknesses, and all the, the lines of priests that we read about, there was some that had problems. They were sinful men. That was another problem with this priesthood. Uh, I have a problem with my slide about the priesthood. I left out a verse here. So Hebrews chapter 5 and verse, verse 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself is also compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought... As for the people, so also for himself, to offer sins. And no man taketh this honor to himself, but he that is called of God was Aaron. So he's just describing the fact that these priests, they were not just making sacrifices for the people, they were making sacrifices for themselves too, because they were laden with sins. That's an issue with this priesthood. The priests were not sinless. The other part, which we just read, and you may have seen uh, flashed there on the screen, Hebrews chapter 7:23 is that death is an issue for these priests. It says they truly were many priests under the Old Testament, these, this priesthood, because they were not allowed to continue by reason of death. When a high priest, he was a temporary, he had a temporary lifespan, offering temporary sacrifices that could not make their conscience clean. And he had sins in his life. And when that man died, the next man would rise up and take the mantle from his sons. And when they died, the next descendant would come and so on and so on throughout time. And so, so death was an issue for this priesthood. So as a sinful man offering temporary sacrifices that were not capable of bringing total cleansing to our conscience. That's the issue with the Old Testament uh, or the, the priesthood of Aaron under the law. Now, kings also came from Abraham. We'll look at kings for just a moment, very briefly. Abraham had a lineage of kings in his, in his family, and God told him that would be the case. Uh, eventually, through history, as the children of Israel develop as a nation, and then they set up their kingdom, Saul is chosen. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, but he fails, and David then is chosen from the tribe of Judah, and he is a good man and becomes a type of Christ. And so all the, the, the successors to David in his line, um, or most of them, turn out to be good kings. Some of them are still wicked, um, and God deals with that, but... but God comes to David while he's the king and promises that his lineage of kings would endure and that a specific person was going to come and be the king. In 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, When thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up your seed after you, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the Old Testament prophets prophesied of this, and they waited for this expectation and this hope of this great king that was going to come from David's line. They waited for this man, and they knew that a king was going to be established forever. Interestingly about this king, David prophesied that he was also going to be a priest, and he references Melchizedek, who we read about in Genesis 14. So David in the Psalms, verse one through, in Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4, a psalm of David, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes, uh, enemies, thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. 
Thou hast had the dew, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. David makes a connection of this great king who would sit on the throne of God, sitting on the right hand of, of God, being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the people knew that this was the case and waited for this king. And so further prophecies that would come talk about the king that would come from David's line. He would also be a priest. Zechariah chapter 6, 12 through 13. And speak to him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. That's a connection to uh, David, and there's other verses that kind of talk about this one being named the branch, and that's this one that comes from uh, David, as prophesied in 2 Samuel 7. He shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both very significant verse that talks about how this man was, was to be, or the fact that this, this king from David would be the, the king and he would be a priest while he is on his throne. And that brings us to Christ. This is what it all points forward to. This is why it matters. This is why it's, why it's so important for us to know these things of the Old Testament so that we can see that Jesus is our royal priest. The figure of Melchizedek, the figure of Aaron, the figure of David, these were all pointing forward to Jesus as our royal priest. His kingship was solidified in the fact that he was raised up from the dead. And he is a descendant from David and is a rightful heir to the throne. And Peter made that case in Acts chapter 2 after his resurrection. In verse 30 he begins, Therefore being a prophet, speaking of David, being a prophet, referencing the psalm that we just read in Psalm chapter 110, uh, and, and other psalms that David wrote. He says that David was a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him, with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Not only raise him up as in bring him from his lineage, but raise him up as in the resurrection. That's exactly what he was talking about. Because David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So the moment that Jesus was raised up from the dead, he is crowned the king, declared to be the son of God with power, it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, according, and he, being a seed of David, is, is the rightful heir now to take that throne forever. And if he is the true king, as Peter says, and he is, he was raised up to be both Lord and Christ. He was raised up from the dead to sit upon this throne of David. We read in Zechariah that this king would be a priest when he is on his throne. So, if the law demands that priests be descendants of Aaron, then we have an issue. We have a problem. Because Christ is not a descendant of Aaron. And that's a problem. There were other kings who rose up. Uh, if you'll remember in, in the Chronicles, King Uzziah. He was a, a line, from the line of David. He was a king. And it says when he became mighty, he got arrogant and decided, I'm going to go into the, ta the tabernacle and offer incense to God. He thought he had the right to go in there and do this priestly service. And the priest tried to stop him and say, this has nothing to do with you. You're not appointed to this task. And God struck him with leprosy. And he was cut off from his people. 
He committed an, a great sin because he violated the law, trying to act as priest while he was the king because he was not from that line of Aaron. So how is it possible that Jesus can hold these two offices as, as the, the prophecy in Zechariah said, the council of peace between these two offices or would be between the, him and these two offices. He would successfully hold the office of priest and king. Okay? Hebrews makes that case and asks those questions. Because in Hebrews 7, 13 through 14, it says, He of whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance to the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which the tribe of Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So there's that issue. And, and Hebrews 7 highlights that. Well, again, uh, Israel had 12 sons. One of those sons was Levi. And eventually Aaron is established as the priest. And, and you must be from that lineage. And it's a separate family line of, uh, that the kings come from. So from the line of Judah eventually comes David. And that's the lineage that Christ belongs to. And so the question is, how is he able to do that? Well, that's exactly where Melchizedek comes in. Because Melchizedek, long before the law, predates the law. He was a man that was the king and was a priest. And so God makes, uh, uses this to show the children of Israel that Jesus is a, has a priesthood that is superior to that of the law. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In Hebrews chapter 7, 15 through 19, it says, It is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who is made, not after the law of a carnal commandment, he wasn't made a priest because of the law and the requirements of the law. He was made a priest by the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. The law was incapable of dealing with sin properly. And God knew that. He designed it to be that way. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. This is so important and significant for us to know. He is a priest, and a priest of something much better than, than the sacrificial commandments that were given in the law. We saw the problems with the priesthood of Aaron, that those men were not allowed to continue because of death. But this priesthood, because Christ was raised up to eternal life, is not temporary. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, Jesus, because he continues forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was before the law, makes the Son who is consecrated forevermore. So Christ's priesthood perfectly addresses the problems that Aaron's priesthood had. Temporary men offering temporary sacrifices that were laden with sin themselves. Jesus is a high priest who lives forever. He is not laden with death. He is not laden with sin. And he offered one sacrifice that is 
good forever. And he, and he gains eternal redemption for us. He was not a sinful man. But he endured the suffering of sin. He endured the temptation of sins. And Jesus is a special high priest because he knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly the pain and the weakness and the foolishness that, that we find ourselves in. He knows how that feels, although he was perfect. Hebrews 4 says so in, in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, to help in time of need. This man knows exactly what our weaknesses are, knows exactly what it feels like, and knows exactly what to do to help us with those infirmities. There is nothing, nothing that Jesus cannot help us with. He says he was tempted in all points, just like us, because he made himself to be like us, as we read just now. The Holy God came down to this world and became flesh and endured our weakness, yet was capable of not committing sin. And so he perfectly understands how to give us exactly the help we need when we need it. And we're encouraged to go to Him boldly, run boldly to the throne of grace where our, our great high priest and king sits because He has mercy available for us. His sacrifice is superior to the, sacrifice of the sacrifices of the law. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered in. Remember, we talked about the tabernacle being separated by this veil and the whole meaning of it we read in Hebrews 9 was that God had not yet made known or access to God was not yet given. But Jesus gives us access through His own blood. He entered into that holy place, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, because that made them holy and capable of approaching God and His presence. He says if animal sacrifices were good enough to do that, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's how much better the sacrifice of Jesus is. It is so good it will purge your conscience from dead works and recreate you and give you life so that now you can serve the living God. And again, this sacrifice, because he entered into this holy place, in doing that and offering this perfect sacrifice, he made the way into God open, and so he gives us access in a way that was not previously available. Hebrews chapter 10, 19-22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest Go into that holy place where God's presence is. Go to the, before the throne of God and, and, and go there for, for grace and help in times of need. He says, have boldness to enter into that holy, the most holy place through the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say His flesh. He gives us access through the veil. And having, had, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He gives us access to God in a very special way. What an incredible blessing we receive because of this great high priest and this king that we serve. He is, he is sitting upon the throne of David now, and he is a priest upon his throne and can perfectly cleanse us from our sins and help us with our weaknesses. The book of John describes him in 1 John chapter 2 as an advocate who stands at the right hand of God. Romans chapter 8 talks about him as an intercessor who is pleading on our behalf and helping us with our infirmities. John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1 says that if we come to him and confess our faults, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. This is the Christ that we serve. This is the King that we belong to. And, and what a great blessing it is to know that God has made this great King our High Priest. He is the blessing that was brought through Abraham, the great promise of Genesis 12. He is the King of righteousness, the King of peace, and He sits upon God's throne. He is the priest of the Most High God. His priesthood is superior to the priesthood of Aaron. This high priest is without sin. This high priest will never die. This high priest offered the perfect sacrifice. This high priest gives us access to God. And all of these guarantees are guaranteed by His resurrection to eternal life, and it will never end. There's no power capable of changing this. Finally, this king invites you to become his child and to be part of his royal priesthood. That's why it matters so much for us to know this information. Because if we are in Christ, we are members of his royal priesthood. As Peter said in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him that called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've been taken out of darkness, you've been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son through the blood of Christ. That blood has purified your conscience. That blood has made you holy. That blood has made you uh, able to, to come and be in the presence of God and have a relationship with Him, that blood has made you part of the royal priesthood of Christ. He is our high priest, and if we are His children and part of His lineage, then we are priests. And it's our duty to live a holy life. It's our duty to offer up spiritual sacrifices, as we've done this morning, singing and offering prayers and, and, and acknowledging and studying His Word together and partaking of the blessed bread and wine that Christ brought to us as this great high priest. He invites you to be a part of that. If you're not, if you haven't been baptized into Christ this morning and you want this great blessing of having peace, of having hope, of having the mercy of God and serving Him in holiness all the days of your life, He makes that available to you through Jesus Christ. But you must be in Him. And so we will help you or study with you or talk, more for, talk further about this great blessing of being in Christ if you wish. Or if you're a Christian this morning and you feel guilty, why don't you go to the throne of grace? We'll go together with God and we'll approach Him together as family on your behalf so that, so that you can make your uh, pleas known to the great high priest who is merciful and who will forgive you of your sins.
If you have needs this morning, either one, won't you come as we stand and we sing? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.